Welcome to the Outside Right podcast. Welcome to episode three of the Outside Right podcast. I'm editor Chris Lee and coming up in this episode. And so football matches at times became sort of an occasion where these social tensions were evident and enacted. That's football blogger Luca Hodges-Ramon talking about how ultra culture started in Italy and spread around Europe. My idea was to uh, bring this connection between these fans together in an online community and where people could meet offline. And that was homefans.net co-founder Luke Verbeek on how he's trying to get football fans to come together across Europe. Enjoy. The Outside Right podcast. My guest is Luca Hodges-Ramon, who is a football blogger. Welcome, Luca. Well, thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Chris. Um, no, thanks for coming on. Um, do you want to briefly introduce yourself and the sort of, uh, Beyond the Field of Play blog? Yeah, so um, I've, I've been running Beyond the Field of Play for sort of just over two years now, although I have sort of had a slight hiatus from the blog while I've been studying for my master's this year. Um, but no, it started um, just as I'd graduated from my, from my first sort of my undergraduate at university and I wanted to... Um, sort of find a space to cover issues that, as the blog name sort of hints at, go beyond the field of play. Um, so looking at the social and political issues that are often sort of raised in, in, in sport and especially football. Um, and a sort of a platform for longer articles, features on on the issues, the political issues that, that pervade football. You've written for um, Guardian Sports Network and also The Gentleman Ultra as well. Um, and it's ultras that we're going to talk about, because um, yeah, yeah. obviously they're, they're massive in Italy, which is obviously a country we're very familiar with. Um, so what is the ultra culture in Italy and how did it emerge? So the, if we look at the etymology of the word, first of all, I mean, ultra or oltre in italiano, in Italian, uh, is to sort of, to mean far beyond, to go beyond um, and a sort of a fanatical. So it gives a clue as it's the culture itself. Uh, if you want to look at its origins, sort of originated in Italy around the late 60s and 70s. And you have to sort of attach it into the broader uh, political environment of that time. And it was a decade of sort of great political and social upheaval in Italy, where you had the conflicts between the sort of the right, um, uh, the black, the, the sort of black the connotations of the fascists or neo-fascists and, uh, and the left wing, so the Brigate Rosse, the Red Brigades. Um, who are paramilitary groups, um, often sort of politicised youths. And uh, there were notable sort of acts of violence and and terrorist attacks, I suppose perhaps most infamously the bombing at the central station at Bologna, um, carried out by a neo-fascist organisation. And they say that sort of um, you can't sort of detach politics from culture in Italy. And um, this sort of manifested, it started to manifest within the stadia as well. And so football matches at times became sort of an occasion where these social tensions were evident and enacted. And also the, the terraces sort of became a ground for uh, almost where these, these groups could recruit um, sort of people for their, for their um, movement. So although I'm not saying that the ultras movement in the 1970s and late 60s in Italy was strictly political, but, you know, things did contain a political significance. And that's where you had sort of the formation of the first, what were ostensibly ultra groups instead of just fan organisations. So these, 
when we think of ultras, we sort of think of the choreographies. Um, we think of the organised fan movements who sit in the normally associated with the curve, the curved end of the ground. Although they're not not all groups, um, sort of it's not exclusive to to the curva. Yeah, and you had sort of the formation of the first sort of organised ultra groups. Um, so you had the um, Fossa de Leoni of AC Milan, the, the Lions Den, who are thought to be the sort of first official ultra group. Although that's again disputed because. You have Torino, who, who claimed that the Fedelissimi Maratona, they were formed in 1951, I think, as a supporters group, and then they still exist today and evolved. And Sampdoria as well, the Ultras Tito Cucchiaroni. So you had a, a number of groups forming as a more organised manifestation, and these groups were often politicised, although not all of them were, and it sort of reflected the, the, the environment at the time. Yeah, and that my perception um, and perception of a lot of other people would be that a lot of these Italian ultra groups are linked to the far right. Is that an accurate presumption? There is undoubtedly an, an established culture of far right politics within the ultra movement. And again, that you can trace that back to the unrest of the sort of 70s and the, the, the clashes between the um, the neo-fascists, you know, the black shirt, the, the black shirts, or the and the red brigades, um, and you have got still got links between far right political groups. So the one that immediately springs to mind is Forza Nuova, who are sort of considered a, a far right or neo-fascist um, political uh, group in Italy, and they have got links to some um, ultra groups. Uh, again, what springs to mind is in Rome. I don't know if you've read. Um, Alberto Tester and Gary Armstrong's sort of book on uh, football fascism and fandom, it's called. And it, it documents the um, two groups of ultras in Rome, Lazio, for Lazio, the Irriducibili, and for Roma, the boys. And they are both sort of neo-fascist groups and they, well, they have neo-fascist ideology and they, the way the authors distinguish them is by calling them ultras, but spelt with a, a big S at the end. And that distinguishes the fact that they embrace an overtly political and ideological value system. And that's sort of their, at the heart of their identity. Um, And they they have been known to have links uh, to to groups like Forza Nuova. And also it's quite interesting that they try and make this link in in this book. They sort of trace this back even further to um, the term ultra, again, going sort of back to the etymology of it, to ultra royalist, which was... um, taken from the French, the ultra-royalists were a right-wing monarchist sort of reactionaries of, of the Bourbon Restoration period after the fall of Napoleon. So they try and trace back this sort of link between the ultra-movement and right-wing politics. So you, you can't deny that, that right-wing politics exists and you've got groups then like um, Lazio, renowned as, as well as Hellas Verona, uh, renowned for harbouring right-wing ideology but the, when you look at the northern teams i think it's important to also point out the fact that they it's a more regional right wing politics in that they may have um, sort of connections to lega nord which just, which is the sort of northern league yeah the, the regionalist party in italy who, who advocate greater autonomy for the northern regions and, and even secession um, of, of the northern regions so you need to sort of you could you can't as I said earlier detach Italian football from from Italian politics. Um, but there are of course then on the other on the other side 
left-wing clubs, the most famous of which being Livorno, um, who are sort of in, in, inextricably tied to, to um, sort of communist symbolism and and their, their most famous, one of their most famous forwards, Cristiano Lucarelli, um, was sort of renowned as, as a, an avowed communist who, who gave the sort of clenched fist salute to the fans. And and um, other other clubs as well have displayed sort of Empoli's ultras, the Desperados, um, left-wing sympathies um, and refugee welcome banners and that kind of thing. So it is both sides, but the right wing is sort of a bit more prevalent, I'd say, and are they linked to, to football violence as well? I mean, I know that Roma and Lazio have that thing, um, you know, going on anyway, just from a rivalry point of view. But I know someone was stabbed not uh, a couple of years ago. Um, so yeah, I mean, again, violence is, you know, I'd be uh, lying through my teeth if I tried to say that violence isn't um, associated with the ultra movement and it isn't doesn't form a part of, of some of these groups' identity. Again, you can't tar all of them with the same brush. Uh, there are some groups who really only see uh, their role as, as being, you know, fanatical supporters who in the ground are chanting for 90 minutes. They're creating the choreographies, which, you know, take hours and hours of preparation in the week. They're waving the flags. They're holding up the banners. Um, but again, like I said, um, there have been like sort of a lot of heinous acts of violence, um, which the ultras have been sort of held accountable for. I mean, the most probably infamous recent uh, event was the the Coppa Italia final in 2014, where Ciro Esposito, a Napoli fan, was actually shot by a, a Roma ultra, uh, even though the the final wasn't between uh, Napoli and Roma, it was between Napoli and Fiorentina, but it was being played in Rome, and Napoli-Roma is, is, is considered a very high-risk fi- fixture in, um, in Italy. But there's also been other, obviously, really, really just tragic incidents. Um, Filippo Racciti, the policeman who was killed in the Catania-Palermo derby after trouble between the, the ultras, the opposition fans. Um, Gabriele Sandri, a Lazio fan who was shot by a policeman um, sort of uh, at a service stop um, when Lazio and Juventus fans clashed. So, yeah, unfortunately, violence is, it, it goes sort of, it sometimes goes hand in hand. But as I said, I'm wary not to tar them all with the same brush because the problem is is that they feel that there's a campaign to within the media within the the authorities to systematically extinguish their culture which would be a real shame because i mean it, already the italian stadiums are pretty empty as they are normally and if you sort of and that's because a lot of the ultras are are not going anymore or protesting and if you take that away from italian football you you really do take part of the soul away from Italian football. Exactly. And I didn't want to kind of demonise them there because I know I know that, that most of them are kind of placid and just creating a great atmosphere. And I was very impressed with the Genoa fans earlier this year when I was there. Um, and the very next day I went to the San Siro and I must say that it was, I think it was 24,000 people there. It was the worst yeah. match I've been No, yeah, I mean, it's a sad, it's one of the saddest starts in football to see the San Siro. So spots but I think the Genoa if I think one game if I could recommend it for ultra culture and you want to see a positive manifestation of it, a positive um, example of it is the Genoa Sampdoria derby the derby della lanterna derby at the lighthouse which is just the atmosphere is one of the best in Europe if you if you can ever get over there um, 
But there's one other thing that I should probably just um, sort of mention with regards to ultra culture and their identity and, and sort of the rivalries and it can sometimes feed into violence. Um, but it also goes into that, you know, what's, what forms their identity? Is it politics? It's something called campanilismo in Italian, which is can be translated as local patriotism. Um, it comes from the word campanile, which is you translate as the bell tower. And so that would be sort of this, the focal point of the town or village. And it literally denotes the fact that these fans, their local identities are really fierce and probably, and in some cases, a lot stronger than their national identity. And that's why you don't see uh, sort of a, a national Italian ultra movement when the, when the uh, Azzurri play, the national team play. And it's why uh, local rivalries are so fierce. So to give you an example from my time in Siena, these Siena fans, their biggest rivalries are with the teams who are directly around them, Fiorentina, Arezzo, Pisa. Uh, and these derbies are sort of, they go, they, you can trace them back centuries, sort of, they call the um, Fiorentina-Siena derby the Guelph-Ghibelline derby because of the um, sort of medieval conflict between the two cities during the Renaissance and you can't talk about ultraculture in Italy without mentioning this this uh, local patriotism, which is campanilismo. And that springs from the whole city-state um, makeup of Italy before the Garibaldi unification, isn't it? Exactly right? before the Risorgimento, yeah, before Italy was unified in, in 1861, it, it was city-states, and then that mentality is still very much ingrained in, in society. That above, first and foremost, you're you're from Naples or you're from Vicenza before being Italian. Yeah, that ultra movement is kind of externalised now. I've seen a lot of it in Spain where, you know, I've lived for a couple of years and also it's big in Eastern Europe now, which is something I know you're studying. So how does that sort of Italian scene compare then with that, the ultra culture around Europe, particularly yeah, Eastern Europe? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a very good question because, um, you know, we think of the ultra culture having originated in Italy, but it has, as you say, sort of disseminated across the continent. And and with, the, with regards to Eastern Europe, I think they tend to stand, I mean, similar values in the in the fact that they, they're very much fighting against the sort of modernisation of football and measures that oppress fans, um, as, which, as I said before, they perceive as an attempt to sort of systematically um, extinguish this sort of ultra culture from, from the stadium. So to give you the best example, I think, is to look at measures like the Tessera del Tifoso in Italy, the supporters' ID card. Similar measures have been introduced across Europe. So, yeah, other, other sort of ID, ID measures like facial recognition or palm recognition. I'm currently writing my dissertation on, on Hungarian football and politics. And that's been introduced in Hungary, um, this palm recognition at the, at the biggest club or the most successful club at the moment, Ferenc Varos. And their ultras, the ultras of Ferenc Varos, are very, very unhappy and are currently boycotting um, games, or they were last season. They were champions sure. last year, weren't they, Ferenc Varos? They were, were champions, yeah, by, by a long, long way. And I'm not sure whether they've returned to the stadium, but I don't think so. I saw, I saw a manifest, I saw a, a protest um, the other day, actually, of, of Ferenc Varos fans, they're protesting against the um, owner, Gabor Kubatov, who is a prominent politician as well in Hungary for the ruling party. But um, I would compare that to the Lazio fans who who have been fighting a long, long battle with with Claudio Lotito, the owner of Lazio, about the way he's running the club, that they're not happy the way he's running the club, and also about measures, for example, last year, um, there was segregation put into the curva, barriers were put into the curva, which se segregated 
the ultras within their they see the Cordova as their sort of domain really and they've been protesting the both the Lazio and Roma ultras were protesting the whole season about this and I'll expect I'd expect this to continue sort of being a running theme this season as well because I don't think anything's going to change in a hurry and both sides are very intransigent so you can sort of look at similarities in the way that they, they, they're very in their ways of fighting against this modernization of, of football um, the corporate like the corporatism that now um, is sort of involved in football and, and pricing fans out of the game and this kind of thing and, and measures that that they see as suppressing football fans um, and again that you've got the political element where where in especially Eastern Europe fans are highly politicized um, as they can be in Italy and, and we've actually seen sort of in in the Balkans for example uh, ultras being prominent especially in, in the Yugoslav wars uh, forming para- paramilitary groups Dinamo Zagreb um, Red Star Belgrade um, and I'd, I'd, one thing I'd say about the ultras is that I think we now need to look at them not as a so they're often sort of stigmatised as hooligans, as, as, as just sort of fanatical fans who might go there to cause trouble. But above all, we need to look at them as a social movement and sort of place them within the broader um, connotations of what's going on in society. But they can really form a powerful social movement, as we've seen sort of in Turkey and, and Egypt, where both uh, ultras of rival fans, Besiktas, uh, Fenerbahce, um, United and in Turkey, um, ultras I think of Zamalek and Al Ali United and took part in the revolutions there um, in the Gezi Park protests in Turkey and and the two I think it's the 2012 or 2011 revolution in Egypt to overthrow the government. So th- these are sort of now becoming more and more as they're significant when they're political actors or social movements. Um, so you need to put them in that uh, broader context. And I suppose just to quickly finish on, on a difference between Italy and, say, Eastern Europe, is I think which I've touched on already is the, is this sort of the patriotism or, or what it often is manifests as, as nationalism of, uh, of the ultras when the international, when the national team plays. Um, and in Italy, I, I read in the, the football fascism and fandom book that I uh, mentioned earlier that there, there was had been some sort of attempt to create a national ultra organization that follows Italy but it really isn't you won't see um, organized fandom on the level that you would see in Serie A when the national team play however when Eastern European teams play as we saw at this uh, European Championship just gone the organization of the fans is very much modeled in the, in the sort of structure of, of how it would be for a club team and actually club teams ultras uh, they often unite their, their rivalries are transcended when the national team play and uh, so for example Hungary this this summer I heard that fans from Uipest, um from uh, Honved from Ferenc Varos these are all Budapest teams um, in theory they're especially Uipest and, and Ferenc Varos they're big rivals but when the national team play and they will put those rivalries to one side uh, and follow the national team, and they'll sort of there will be this sort of nationalist fervor. Uh, and um, it, with Croatia, it was a bit different, obviously, because the Croatian fans were actually the, the sort of hardcore element, or the ultras were protesting against the Croatian FA, who they feel are sort of corrupt and hijack, hijacking the game there and, and using it for their own ends. Um, 
especially the president Mamic. But as you see, these these Eastern European fans on the, on an international level are much more organised and together, I think, than than the Italian fans. Okay, that's fascinating. I guess you'll be chronicling a lot of your findings on the blog. So just remind everyone where they can kind of follow you online. Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm on I'm on Twitter. You can just find me at Luke, Luca Hodges Ramon or at LH, LH in capitals, underscore Ramon 25. And my blog is uh, www.beyondthefieldofplay.com. Um, as I said, I've taken a, a sort of hiatus since November because of my studies um, but I will be um, sort of revamping it and uh, starting to post on there again after sort of September October once I've handed in my dissertation and I will be chronicling my, my research on, on Hungary but also just um, carrying on with my research on the ultra movement in general and also I highly recommend um, the, obviously the other, the other site where we do a lot of ultras work is The Gentleman Ultra uh, run by Richard Hall, um, but we, we sort of cover nostalgia in, in Italian football, but also we look at this, we do this series called The Alternative Guide to Italian Football, where we, we document um, the ultras of each club, and we've done most Serie A clubs now, and, and so we're looking at expanding it even to, 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 the, to the Serie B clubs, and because there's a lot of still prestigious and big big movements there to cover as well, so that's, that's where you can find my, my work. Brilliant, excellent. Thanks so much for that, and it sounds like it's well worth following. So, um, Luca Hodges, Ramon, thanks so much for your time. No, thank you very much for having me, Chris. It's been an, an absolute pleasure. The Outside Right podcast. So, my guest is Luke Verbeek, who's one of the co-founders of HomeFans.net. Welcome, Luke. Thank you, Chris, and happy to be here. Introduce us to HomeFans. How does it work? We, we started Home Fans two years ago and we are bringing communities of football fans across the globe together to um, experience football through local eyes, which means that we are bringing together overseas fans to connect with local fans on match days to make football more memorable and affordable for these fans who want to visit the club they love or they are interested in. And we are doing this with, uh, with the local ambassadors who joined home fans, who are uh, passionate football fans, lovers of their, of their own club. For example, Manchester United, Manchester City, who love to tell experience they, experiences they have uh, seen during uh, the years they followed their club, who are happy to tell about the history of the club and who are happy about meeting foreign over football fans who come to visit the clubs. So we enable the connection between overseas fans and local fans on match days uh, when they want to visit the football club. Okay, and uh, so where did the idea come from then and how did you bring that whole thing together? What were the key challenges there? I, I started home fans, as I said, three years ago because I'm, I'm a passionate football fan. I've been following Manchester United for years now and I, I travelled a lot every season to watch Manchester United. And when I, when I visited Manchester, I always had the feeling that there was uh, literally no connection with the local fans or the community on match days because you are a foreign football fan. Uh, most of the time you travel with, with some friends or with your family and you don't know anyone in the local area. So I wanted to change this because I think football is just more than just a game. It's, it's about the uh, local football fans as well. So... My idea was to uh, bring this connection between these fans together in an online community and where people could meet offline so that football fans like myself would have a better experience. It's, it's more than just uh, watching the football game, but it's the whole weekend. So 
wanted to change the whole weekend for, for football fans. So you're based in the Netherlands and I guess there is a culture of travelling to games. You're quite central in terms of Europe. You can get to Bundesliga matches, you can get to Belgium and France. Um, is, is this kind of part of the reason you think that the idea came around? Absolutely, absolutely. It's, um, it's quite popular in the Netherlands to travel to other countries to watch football because we have our own competition. But we, we are actually interested and passionate about football a lot for my fellow Dutch fans and everyone around Netherlands. So it's, it's not just me. It's a lot of people traveling from Netherlands to other places where they came across the same problems from, OK, I'm here, I'm, I'm going to watch the football match on a, on a Saturday or on a Sunday and that's it. I don't know what to do else. I, I don't know anything about, uh, about the city. Well, you can you can get around, but you, you, you still feel like a tourist. And that's something that we wanted to change. And that's. That was one of the problems that not not only myself but other people also um, told me from. Okay, I would I would love to uh, get in touch with local fans. I would love to know what it's like to support a club like Man United or a Borussia Dortmund, for example. Mm. And so, where do these uh, at the minute? I know it's early days, but where tend to be the most popular destinations so far? At the moment, we we are actually starting in Manchester, so we we are actually getting requests for from people from the Netherlands, but also people from Germany and other places like Belgium to, to get to Manchester. But, but uh, especially from people from the UK, they, they would love to go to Dortmund, for example, Amsterdam, uh, Madrid. It, it's, it's based on people's personal preferences, but these are the most popular locations that we, that we have so far. It's not that we want to add all the locations at once. We just want to start building communities in specific places like Manchester and Dortmund, where there are local fans who can guide you around or are happy to have a chat. Etc. So, what tends to be your personal favorite? You've obviously been to quite a few grounds across Europe. Where's your personal favorite? Absolutely, I've been uh, to Atletico Madrid and Dortmund in the last season. I traveled a lot to Manchester, but I have to say, um, well, Old Trafford will always be a special place for me because I support Man United, of course. But uh, Dortmund is uh, something different. The atmosphere is unreal on match days. There is a there is a really good vibe around the stadium and in the city, so that's one of my favorite places so far. And I hope to visit more stadiums, of course, like uh, uh, Allianz Arena from Bayern Munich. And um, I hope to see a game of uh, Real Madrid as well in the future. But uh, Dortmund and uh, Old Trafford are the personal favorites for, for now. Okay. And who's your local club then? How are they doing at the minute? Um, my local club is FC Twente. They they are actually not doing it that well because they were almost bankrupt this season and they managed to um, avoid it. But um, they don't have a good squad at the moment. There were days like three years ago that it was actually going really well that Twente was playing in the Champions League against teams like Inter Milan and Tottenham Hotspurs. But for now, it's um, well, they are now in a relegation zone. The season just started, but they they are probably going to lose their best player as well. So it's not going that well, actually. In the Eredivisie, isn't it the case that you have to have some kind of ID to get into the ground? Is that always true? For, for some clubs, it is. I mean, you, you, I think it's everywhere. You have popular clubs like Feyenoord, uh, Ajax Amsterdam, PSV Eindhoven. There you need IDs. But normally, people always get or a membership or they buy a ticket at the ground. It depends on, uh, on what club you are visiting. But... Not for every single club you need an ID card. Okay, fair enough. I mean, I've only done the official Ajax package. That's my only game in, in, in the Netherlands so far. Okay, so just finally then, how can people get involved in home fans? Where can we find you online? 
people can visit our site at uh, www.homefans.net and see what we are all about. We we are also on Twitter at um, Homefans Support, and we are on Facebook as well. Uh, you can just search for Homefans, and you can find our Facebook page as well. And um, well, we are always looking for passionate football fans who who are happy to guide foreign fans like myself around in the city, whether you live in London, Madrid, uh, in, in Germany. We, we are always too happy to grow a football family at home fans and getting more ambassadors on board. So if people who are listening to, uh, to the podcast, if they are interested in um, guiding people around, I would say have a look on home fans. If you are interested to travel with the group, you can, uh, you can have a look at home fans as well. We are... Um, planning to post a couple of trips in the coming days so there will be a lot of activity actually on site okay brilliant if you come to london give me a shout definitely definitely all right thanks luke good luck with the project hope it goes really well happy to be on your podcast so good luck with it as well thanks again for listening you can find out more at www.outsideright.co.uk that's right spelt w-r-i-t-e and you can follow us at outside right on twitter instagram and facebook until next time goodbye